Welcome to Quilt and Tell, where quilters who love all aspects of the craft, from traditional and contemporary to art and modern, share their passion and perspectives on all things quilty. I'm Tracy Mooney. I'm Lori Baker. And I'm Ginger Sheehy Taddy. Today's episode is all about pre-cuts. Our guest today is the very talented and oh so much fun Kimberly Einmo. In our final segment today, we are going to combine fine finishes with quilt spirations, and we are going to discuss the names of pre-cuts and what we'd like to make with these fabulous little bits of fabric. Welcome, ladies. Hi. How are you today? I'm okay. How are you guys? It's Thursday. I'm doing good. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. Oh my gosh, the week's almost over. Yes. Thank goodness. Yes. No, things are well on our front. Yeah. I miss you guys. I haven't seen you or heard from you in a while, I guess. I know. I know. It, it's it's rough. And I, I'm not sure. I, I'm, it, it's a lot of work to do a podcast every week, but I certainly miss talking to you every week. Yeah, I know. It's true. And it makes the weeks like they seem to go by a lot quicker before. Now I feel like they're kind of dragging. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> well, guess what, ladies? Go ahead, tell us. Yeah, I have not one, but two letters to read to you today. Oh, awesome. yay. They're short letters, but still, two letters. It was a pretty exciting week. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say that I have noticed that some people are leaving questions in the review place on Apple Podcasts, and we can't see them or answer you. Oh, um, <laughs> so if you have a question, please feel free to email us. So, um, so the first letter that we got today said, I had to stop the podcast and email you. I got a bit behind, so I'm listening to episode 34. I've had a nagging question f- for the last I don't know how many years, and it is exactly what you were talking about two thirds of the way through the episode. Uh, taking a quilt pattern and changing it up a little bit ah. or um, or much to make it mine. I usually name my quilts as I'm working on them and put a hand cross stitch label on. But these quilts are mostly for my own use. Some are given away and a very few are sold. Am I pirating the original pattern? Is it OK as long as I don't sell the quote new pattern? Um, I enjoy the podcast mucho and, and I'm listening as I hand quilt. Thanks. Carol from Missouri. Oh, well, so isn't great. that a good question? It is. It's a really good question that I have no idea. So what do you two say? <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to think what the right answer is. Yeah, uh, I I actually kind of have an answer to this and it actually we're doing a series in Quilt Maker Magazine. Elizabeth Townsend Guard is okay. writing a series for me on copyright. Yeah. And let me just tell you, we're, we've done two so far. The second one just came out in the September, October issue. And I just read part three that's going into the November, December issue this morning. And let me just tell you that this is often an issue um, as we 
are getting submissions because sometimes we'll see a quilt mm-hmm. and it looks a little bit too close to a design that we know is a pattern. Um, but then other times we get very sort of, let me just say generic, maybe patterns. Um, that's not a good word, actually. Okay, so I'm going to backtrack. <laughs> there are quilt patterns that have been around for hundreds of years. Let's use a log cabin, for example. Mm-hmm. That pattern has been around since the 1800s. That is not copyrightable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and this actually, this question actually goes to fabric companies as well, because the fabric you buy, let's say, let's give an example, a very specific example of a Disney fabric. Mm-hmm. That fabric is likely not licensed for you to use and sell a product Mm -hmm. or a quilt with that fabric because that is a licensed design. Um, However, a log cabin quilt of any variety is likely not copyrightable because you cannot put a copyright on a square and a rectangle. Does that make sense? It does. Yes, it does. Now, if you are taking a pattern, let's say an applique pattern, that is very different than taking a design that has squares and triangles and rectangles uh, versus something that someone drew and -hmm. created a design from. Does that, am I, am I still making sense? (laughs) Uh Uh Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so if you're. The, the difference will be that you need to make a significant change to it to make it your own um, in some cases. Other cases, you know, if it's if it's a log cabin and you're following a pattern for a log cabin that specifically has, I don't know, 76 blocks to make a big quilt and you're changing it up by changing the size of the center square or something like that. Um, I, I think that's probably enough that you've made it your own. It's not, unless you're really copying the design exactly. So it kind of depends. There's a lot of gray area. Um, I will likely circle back to this question and put a link to, um, Elizabeth's articles, the issues that have Elizabeth's um, copy in them um, so that you can go and and know what it's about. Because in her first article that she wrote for me, she really sort of delved into this and showed examples of quilts that um, really drive the point home of sort of making it your own versus um, copying or making it a little too close, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like it, it, it could get really tricky. <laughs> it can, depending yes. upon the design. And I mean, it's a podcast, so I can't even show pictures or, you know, like really, <laughs> really give you a really, you know, it's a fine line in some cases, um, and especially when when there's so much that is produced online. I mean, you, you these days you can't even really share a picture of someone's quilt without making sure that you're giving proper credit to right. who made that design, et cetera, right? And even who quilted it. I mean, this is very, it's very complex. Um, but I feel like Elizabeth did a really great job um, 
breaking it down. We should actually have her as a guest on the podcast sometime so that she can come on and talk about this. She also has a uh, a podcast of her own that's called Just Want a Quilt. So giving a shout out to Elizabeth. Nice. All right. So we've got one more quick letter. Um, This one is from Jean Weekly from Northfield, Minnesota. And she said, I'm such a Johnny come lately to finding podcasts on quilting. Who knew? And listening and laughing and enjoying your banter with the three of you. What fun. Marking my calendar every other Wednesday. I'll just have to explore to find your timeline. So thanks for writing in, Jean. Yes, every other Wednesday. <laughs> that is our schedule. Um, and, uh, you know, we really have a lot of fun talking and I'm so glad that she found our podcast. We would love if you're enjoying the podcast for you to tell your friends and let them know so that we can keep producing more and more podcasts for you. Yeah. Purely selfish. We just want to keep doing it. (laughs) Yes. It gives us a chance to talk to each other. (laughs) It does. And we have fun talking about quilting. Yep. All right. Well, are you ladies ready to go talk to Kimberly? I'm excited about it. Yeah. Me too. Yay. Today, we are lucky enough to have Kimberly Einmo join us. She is a quilt designer, an author, a fabric designer, and she's also the national spokesperson for Janome Sewing Machines. Welcome, Kimberly. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Do you know that you have been on our our list for probably two seasons? Oh, no. (laughs) We wanted to have you on the show that long. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I'm just really thrilled to be here today. What fun. So um, I think, you know, it's been an interesting time um, for this, you know, the past few months. And um, it's always interesting to find out what people have been doing um, since the pandemic started. I know it probably changed your plans. Uh, (laughs) It did. It did. I had a very heavy travel schedule planned for a bunch of shows to teach at. And all of a sudden those got either postponed or canceled. And um, it was, it was, at first it was like, oh, this is great. Finally, a little time off the road, you know, but then Mm -hmm. quickly, quickly into it, it was like, okay, now what I've got to switch gears and, and what are we going to do going forward? How is this, you know, how's this going to look? And, um, I started collaborating with, uh, Regina Carlavaro, who is the director of education for Janome Sewing Machines. And they wanted to, uh, find a way to reach out to the community um, not only locally, but globally to customers and, and sewing enthusiasts everywhere. And the thought was, well, let's help people get to know their sewing machines better. What can we do to help them learn how to use their sewing machines? And people were, you know, right away making masks and diving in and and doing what they could. And so she gathered up the educators for Janome and myself. And we started doing right at the beginning of April, started putting on these little Facebook live events every day, uh, Monday through Friday at 3 p.m., where we would, you know, it started out just being, well, just let's share some tips and techniques and tricks. Let's um, share a feature or a foot or something to help people realize all the capabilities of their machines. And boy, this caught on and nobody could have ever 
imagined how um, the the community that that kind of grew up around this. We were absolutely amazed. And now we have um, followers um, almost in uh, the hundred thousands. Uh, last I looked, it was wow. like 99,000. And it's not just for genome owners. It's it's um, for, for all sewing machines, how to use these features on your machines, whether it's low end or high end. Um, and, and we've gone even further. Uh, I do a fun little thing when I do my live live events called Done Before Dinner. And I present a fun little project that can be done with materials around your house and that you can do in an hour or so. And I've done things like how to make a shopping cart handle cover or um, (laughs) just, just fun little things that you can do that will get you sewing. And so the the response has been mind blowing. It's it's so great to see people um, just coming, spending a few minutes of their day, and they get to ask questions. You know, by typing. You know, they can't literally talk back and forth on these Facebook lives. But it has been a really amazing thing that has has happened. And and how generous the um, educators have been with their knowledge and their talent, and for sharing what they know. So that's been the silver lining in all this. And their time. I feel like they take a lot of time to prepare <laughs> and people don't realize. <laughs> so I laugh because yes, we spend hours preparing. I know I do um, just hours and hours to make it look easy and to make it, you know, so I have lots of step outs there to show and make it seem approachable. And then I've also been teaching a block of the month for free online through the Janome Sewing Classroom, um, where I we've been walking through blocks. We're calling it a blitz because even though there's 12 blocks, we're doing three blocks at a time. So a little faster Uh, than a block of the month. Yes. But um, again, it's all free. And, you know, it's just something we're doing to share and get people sewing with what they have on hand. You know, you can, you can, of course, get a jelly roll because I love to work with jelly rolls, but, um, you know, you can use what you have on hand, use, use your yardage. And we have people from all over the world. And that part is so much fun because we have so many people tuning in from countries everywhere. And it, that part is just so exciting to see how far this has reached. So... That's it's amazing. almost a shame that it took a, you know, pandemic to really kind of reinvigorate this whole love of sewing again. Right. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 con- um, consequently, in a good way, um, people are now reaching out to their local dealers, you know, to get extra feeds or whatever they need. And it's helping those small businesses. And Which that's what great. this is really about. It wasn't about selling, um, selling machines. It was helping people get to know their machines. If you're going to be stuck at home, you might as well know all the features. But now people um, are using these features, using these new presser feet and, you know, um, different like a new bobbin casing or whatever, and also reaching out to their dealers, which is helping them, you know, keep their business afloat during all this. So it's just been a trickle down effect that's been really lovely to see. Well, and you know, I feel like this time has been so stressful that giving people a creative outlet to help cope is a wonderful thing. It is. It absolutely is. And, and I've had so many nice letters and emails and notes from people just saying, 
you know, thank you for doing this. And it's, you know, given me something to focus on. And, um, you know, the, the, the kindest letters are the ones where people say, oh, I feel like I'm in your sewing room with you. And that just means the world to me because I want them to feel like we're just sitting and chatting and, and just talking while we're sewing. That's really, really nice. And that's funny because that's the way we, we think of our podcast too. Yeah, exactly. You want them to feel like they're just sitting across the table, just, you know, um, chatting and talking and connecting because I think everybody is missing the connections. I know I am. I mean, just in-person connections. Kimberly, you said that this was at 3 p.m. Yes. But yes. I, what time zone? Oh, Eastern Standard Time. Cool. Uh, yeah, because I know people want to know that. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, it's on there's two there's two pages now. It's on Facebook, all on Facebook. It's the Jeremy Sewing Machines page where we do these Monday, Wednesday and Friday now at 3 p.m. And every Tuesday on the Janome Sewing Classroom page, we, we have classes, fun little one hour classes. Um, uh, Miriam Coffee just did a class on how I think it was how to turn one of your reusable shopping bags into a pillow. <laughs> so oh, these are fun projects that you can do, um, you know, simple things, too. And, and for people who are, you know, haven't sewn a lot, you know, how to make a, a, a cute little pillowcase. Um, we've had all kinds of things. I've done how to make a candle mat, how to um, just oh, t- turn a, a fun little pot holder and a dish towel into a hanging dish towel that you can um, decorate with decorations decorative stitches, how to use your, how to sew a button on by machine. Um, just really fun, interesting, weird things that you, you probably didn't know your machine had the capability to do. <laughs> and shout out to Miriam Coffee. She's absolutely adorable. She is. <laughs> she not? I mean, she is wonderful. And so I, all the educators have really just stepped up to find creative fun ways to share, you know, their love and their passion for what they do and to help educate. This is all about education and and sharing and making a connection. Yeah, Kim, I'm curious. um, Do you think a lot of that stems from people just, uh, you know, maybe even starting out wanting to just make masks? Then they've gone, they've gotten the materials, they've gotten the machine. And then is this kind of like a a logical next step then for people in providing this? um, Seems like a really great outlet. It truly is. And, you know, the sewing machine um, sales themselves uh, for mid range down to low range, um, those machines have just flown off shelves everywhere. Um, And so people have these new machines and some dealers are not available to give classes because they're, you know, they're not letting people in the stores. They're just doing like curbside service. So classes aren't available. So people have these machines they don't know really how to use. And this has been a great way to help get them feeling familiar and comfortable using these new machines and, and learning to feel comfortable, not only to make masks, but to do other things too. It almost feels like we're all busier than we would have been had this not happened. <laughs> Absolutely. I know I am. I've, I, I have been working so hard to do, um, you know, to, to prepare for these classes and these live events. And um, but it's been it's been a really satisfying sort of busy because, you know, you feel like you're really making a difference. And that's been really amazing. Kimberly, I'm curious, uh, when did you start sewing and quilting? Well, I started sewing when I was seven years old and um, it was born out of the fact that my mother was um, 
height challenged or vertically challenged. She was just <laughs> short. And um, so she had to have all of her pants and, and dresses hemmed and she hated to sew. But she thought if she had a daughter who knew how to do this for her, <laughs> it would be a good thing. <laughs> So she got me hooked up with a little 4-H club called Buttons and Bows, and I learned how to sew. And of course, then very shortly thereafter, I decided I didn't want to mend or hem. I wanted to create things, right? Um, So uh, she never could understand why I didn't want to just sit around hemming her pants and her skirts. But um, so I sewed and uh, all the way, you know, up through uh, college and but I didn't find quilting until I was newly married. And this was in 1991. And we had just moved to Washington, D.C. or actually Alexandria, Virginia. And I was working as a graphic designer and I got off the metro and I started walking down King Street uh, to go home from the metro. And literally there was a quilt shop there called um, Quilt and Stuff. And at that moment, the heavens parted and the angels sang and I knew I had found my tribe. This was where I was meant to be. I mean, I just didn't even know there was such a thing as quilting until 1991. So I went in on the spot. I signed up for a six week beginner's course all done by hand everything was done Uh by hand back then let me just tell you by the end of the third week I had I had just um, pestered the owner of the store to hire me I had to work there so I was literally working there after three weeks it was just like I knew this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life (laughs) oh my gosh wow yeah it was really amazing can I just say you're making me homesick I'm from Washington DC and my husband's from Alexandria so I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, King Street, you know. So, um, yeah, that was how I got my start. Oh, we loved living there. That was fun. That was a good time. So and I've been I've been quilting ever since. And um, because we were um, I was married to a military man who um, is now retired from the Air Force. But at the time, you know, when you're in the military, you're not making a whole lot of money. And we didn't have a lot of money to spend on extra frillies. And so um, what happened, what happened was um, I basically um, just kept begging and begging and begging the um, the owner of the shop to allow me to teach classes because really we couldn't afford for me to take classes. <laughs> so um, I learned everything I could by watching and asking questions. And, and because I worked there, I was allowed to sit in on other classes. And so there was a competing shop across town that was having Friday night mystery nights. And this was where you could go on a Friday night from six to midnight and bring a potluck you know, dish to share. And you would make a mystery quilt. Well, $60 in 1991 was gold Uh to us. You know, we couldn't afford that. Mm -hmm. So I I begged Madeline, Madeline Shepperson. I said, oh, please let me teach. I'll teach it. I'll I'll do one. I'll I'll make up one. And because I was a graphic designer, um, I could design things. And I was using um, Corel Draw at that time. And that was right before I started using electric quilt software. And um, I just designed a mystery quilt and started teaching teaching in her shop and it became her most popular class after a few years. So um, that's really how I kind of backed into it. (laughs) You know, just sheer enthusiasm. 
<laughs> what so. a delightful story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm, so I'm just... thinking about how much fabric costs back then, because yeah. I'm thinking yeah. that oh. for $2 back then, I yeah. could get half a yard of fabric. Wow. That's right. That's right. And basically, that's why I was working there part time. I was still working my full time job. But my part time job was ba- basically paid for the fabric and the supplies and things and, you know, getting my first real rotary cutter and bat. And, you oh. know, it was just really exciting. So um, but I just it, I just knew that was what I wanted to do forever. So. So how do you go from like stumbling into a quilt shop to becoming a national spokesperson? (laughs) What's that like? You know, I think it's just a God thing. My whole life has been, I never could have predicted this, never could have thought this is how it would turn out. Um, So in the year 2000, we moved to Germany and I was teaching uh, classes um, locally at shops. And then when we moved to Germany, I was teaching for the Americans over on the base, you know, just, you know, teaching little classes that I had created and come up with. And somebody said to me in passing, they said, you know, you have all these designs out there that you've you've created in electric quilt software and you're teaching these classes. You ought to get them copyrighted. And I said, yeah, I probably should. And I pulled up, we couldn't afford a, a, you know, a copyright attorney or anything. So I pulled up the government website that, you know, allows you to kind of do this. And my eyes glazed over and I was like a deer in the headlights. And I thought, well, I'm never going to do this. And then somebody said to me in passing, they said, you know, if you go through a publisher, not only will they copyright your designs, but you'll get a Library of Congress number. And I said, yes. I want a Library of Congress number. <laughs> oh, that sounds so official. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, how hard can this be? So um, that's when I kind of put um, a collection of my designs together and sent them off to the American Quilter Society. And, and it was um, designs that I had done of quilts for the cities and countries we had visited while in Europe. And um, literally, this was about four years later in 2004, and we were getting ready to move back to the uh, the United States, to Ohio. And um, I got a call from um, AQS and they said, we'd like to publish a book. And that's literally how I got into it. That was kind of my wow. first official thing. And it was just, you know, with me, everything is kind of I just stumble into things um, and and just sheer enthusiasm and tenacity. I just, you know, I just don't I don't look at the the fears of what will happen if it doesn't work out. I just think, OK, well, what will happen if it does? And I just keep blundering forward, <laughs> as my mother used to tell me. She's like, well, you're just like a bull in a china shop. You just keep, you know, plowing forward. I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> So literally, that's how I got my start was um, through the American Culture Society. And then they published five more books after that. So um, I'm very blessed to have that that association with AQS and be part of their family. And and now I'm writing a column for their magazine, which comes out every other month for American Culture Magazine called Stray Threads. And it's just a fun little column that I do. And I touch on all kinds of topics. And um, that's been a really, that that's another God moment because I always used to follow Helen Kelly's column um, in Quilter's mm-hmm. Newsletter Magazine. Yes. And I loved her. I met her once. She was kind of my idol. And I just thought she was an amazing woman. And I just used to think, can you imagine having a column in a magazine? How cool would that be? So um, to actually have that is a, is a real blessing. 
is is really something, a full circle moment. That's great. Well, and you have to give yourself more credit because that's a lot more than just stumbling into stuff. You oh, really yes. came. You came with the goods. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. No, and it's a lot of hard work too, though. I mean, I work really hard at this um, behind the scenes. I'm very dedicated and um, I'm always trying to up my own game. No matter what I do with everything I design, with everything I create, I am always learning. I'm always making myself learn something new. Um, and, and even for like designing fabric now, I'm taking online classes on how to use Procreate on my iPad so I can design better and more efficiently and um, more creatively. So I'm always making myself learn new things so I can share those things and share techniques with people and encourage them to keep learning because that keeps you fresh and, and keeps, keeps everything from getting stale and, and looking the same. So I'm curious because our theme is actually about pre-cuts today. Yes. And um, you were you were the first person I thought of <laughs> when it came to pre-cuts. Thank um, you. Just because you've had, you know, you have craftsy classes and and yes. um, you have tools for yes, using. I do. So, how, so first of all, did you have an inkling that pre-cuts would stay? <laughs> you know, absolutely not. And the, you're going to love this story, how I kind of stumbled into pre-cuts. So after my first book was published with the American Quilter Society, we had lived in, in Ohio for a couple of years. Then we had moved back to Germany for a second tour there. And I had put together a manuscript for AQS for a second book. And we were back in Germany wow. and my editor called me and she said, wow, that's a, that's a really great manuscript. This was in 2007 or eight. And it was either at the end of 2007 or the beginning of 2008. She said, that's a great manuscript. But you know what? Pre-cuts are kind of hot right now. Jelly rolls are hot. Actually, she didn't say pre-cuts. She just said jelly rolls are hot right now. Um, she said, you've used pre-cuts before. And I said, uh-huh. <laughs> and she said, you know what? We really need a book on, on jelly rolls. Can you write one? And I was like, ah can I write a book on jelly rolls? And then I hung up and cried because I had never used one before. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I had said, yes, I can do this. Oh <laughs> my so, goodness. And then there was the whole, the whole issue of being in Germany and there wasn't a fabric jelly roll on the entire continent of Europe at that oh, time. Oh my goodness. But I called um, Laura at uh, Moda and said, please send me some jelly rolls, please. I've just committed to doing a book on jelly rolls. I need to become an expert really fast. And so they did. Moda was very generous and sent me a box of all kinds of stuff. And that's literally how it was born. But here's the great thing. I was using electric quilt software, which I still use to design everything. And on EQ, once I started designing Four pre-cuts. Once I got into it, oh my goodness, I couldn't shut it off. <laughs> I just kept going and going with design. So that first book um, called Jelly Roll Quilts and More, um, it, it kind of rolled out and became an instant bestseller for them. And But I had so many designs that I had done that I didn't even fit in that first book. The second book was very easy um, to come up with because I had so many designs left over. And I still find that today that it is so much fun and so easy to, to design for pre-cuts. Because here's the thing, they've done the work for you. Mm -hmm. Whether you use the jelly rolls or the layer cakes, you know, those 10 inch squares or charm squares or whatever, you know, you're getting a little bit of each of that line 
already cut. And so um, people that have trouble um, selecting fabrics for quilts, if you're using one of those bundles, everything already goes together. There's nothing you can put together that's not going to look good. So um, they've done the work. They've taken the fear um, out of putting all these different fabrics together to making a quilt look wonderful. And, and for people who really, you know, struggle with that. And I, I don't, but I, I love putting fabrics together, but I know a lot of people really get hung up on, does this go, does this match? Does this work together? You know, sometimes all they need to add is one background fabric with a bundle mm-hmm. and their quilts are going to look amazing because everything already goes. You can't get it wrong. You know, so that's, that's another, and it, it, it takes the fear out of, of creating planned, scrappy looking quilts and um, allows people to just enjoy the process of creating and not worrying about whether or not the fabrics go. So there's a lot to be said for pre-cuts. Oh, and I know like for me, pre-cuts, anything that can get me peace in sooner, I'm yes. there. I'm there. Right, <laughs> right. Exactly. The strips are already there. The yep. the, the squares are there. And that's kind of how my, my rulers were born. Um, I have a precision flying geese and half square triangle ruler and then the precision jelly roll ruler and precision pre-cuts ruler. What I found when I was working with pre-cuts is you cut the same units over and over and over again. You cut, you know, two and a half inch squares. You cut two and a half by one and a half inch rectangles. You cut two and a half by four and a half inch rectangles. There's a lot of units you cut repetitively and you don't cut anything with an eighth of an inch when you're using pre-cuts. Everything is quarter, half and whole sizes. And so the other thing I noticed was because my boys were younger at the time, I wasn't getting to really cut or work or sew until about nine o'clock at night when your eyes are tired. And I thought, you know, we need tools that that are clear and uncluttered and that the most common commonly used sizes that you cut over and over and over again are marked in bright mint green lines so you can see at a glance and cut accurately at a glance without having to work to see what those units are so i created these tools so that the eighth inch lines are removed you're only seeing the quarter half and whole inch lines and that those those units that you cut repetitively are all marked so that you can see at a glance without straining your eyes so that's really what the rulers are about and and people seem to really love them which i'm i feel so blessed about but really it was born out of a need when i saw that man i don't want to have to work so hard to see these units every time i'm making these cuts so that and I can just can I just say they're reasonably priced too, which is amazing because you. you're investing so much into this, and it's like you. Yeah. I feel like you're you're giving us a reasonable price for these really really helpful tools. Thank you, <laughs> so thank you, thank you. Yes, it's it's really just about getting them out there, and and when people use them, they seem to just love them. And it, and again, it was just born out of a need, and you know, see a need, fill a need. So. <laughs> So, but I just, I, I love using pre-cuts. I go back to them over and over again because I just have so much fun with them. Oh, and then if people have, this is, here's a really good tip. If you have ugly fabrics and everybody has those in their stash, you know, the ones that have like crabs on them with Walkman or, (laughs) or, you know, just some pet shop series from 19, you know, 98 or something, (laughs) you know, these fabrics that you bought 20 years ago and you're like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? See, if you cut those up into little pieces and, and kind of incorporate them into your pre-cuts, they add the, the pizzazz 
they add the little sparkle that like if you've been in a quilt show and you're walking down the aisles and, and a scrappy quilt calls to you from across the way, typically there's some ugly fabric in it there somewhere. And and there it's not so ugly once you cut it up small enough. So <laughs> I love that suggestion. <laughs> so throw a little bit of those uglies in there, the weird things, because people can't really put their finger on why it makes a quilt look better, but it does. <laughs> you just want to use just a little bit sparingly, but it really makes a difference. <laughs> I love that. Oh my goodness. Kimberly, it has been such a joy to talk to you today. We've just like, this time has just like gone by in a blink. It has. Oh my goodness. I hope I didn't rattle on too much. It's just been so much fun. Oh no. We love hearing your stories. (laughs) I could listen for another hour. Let's do it. Thank you so much. This has just been so great. I am honored to be on this, to be part of this today. Well, thank you so much. We're honored to have you here. Thank you. So today for Fine Finishes, we're going to talk about pre-cuts. We're going to talk about jelly rolls and charm squares and layer cakes. But wait, there's different terms for that depending on what company. Tracy, jump in here and and help me explain. And and it all sounds delicious. It does, yes, that's it. it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm it, really hungry now. <laughs> it does sound delicious. And there's jelly rolls, honey buns, layer cakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else are there? There's a few bunch there. Those are very specific to mm-hmm. one company. And that is Moda. We love Moda <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and their we bake do. shop. Um, they created, when they created their pre-cuts, they also created the Moda's Bake Shop, which is an online brand that has patterns for using pre-cuts. They also have books that um, are using their using that term, the Moda Bake Shop. Um, however... That is specific to Moda. And so it's kind of like calling a tissue a Kleenex, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So we don't want to, you know, while we love Moda, we also love our other fabric companies that we work with on a regular basis. And every company has a different name for what those different cuts are called, right? Mm-hmm. I think a fat quarter is a fat quarter and a fat eighth is a fat eighth. Um, but you know, one company has, a, let's give a layer cake as an example. Um, I know for a fact that Robert Kaufman calls them 10 squares, right? Mm. And so, or other companies might just call them a 10 inch square. So, uh, so while we were coming up with the plan for this show, we actually were like, well, what are we going to call these things? And then I knew Kimberly would be on and that she might use those terms um, that are specific to Moda, but we just wanted to make sure everybody was clear. You know, a jelly roll is two and a half inch square. No, two and a half inch strip. Oh, sorry. Yes, strip. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I know. It has been a really long week. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I just always wondered if like a fat quarter takes offense to being, being called fat, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, how touchy are these things? <laughs> I'd be offended personally. And (laughs) and luckily, we don't gain any weight by consuming any of these items. (laughs) That's right. True. 
Mm. Oh. Yeah, usually you can't eat anything with jelly in it without feeling guilty. So, <laughs> <laughs> so true. Well, and I didn't realize I had started a whole like, uh, you know, spiral of uh, just uh, probably one of the most interesting conversations that we've ever had. Some people geeked out on it and some people were just like, does it really matter? But uh, pre-cuts. And the word pre-cuts, it's so funny. We have a course that we have that's going to be coming out um, in uh, September. So it's coming out soon. We'll be sure to let everybody know about it. It's Quilting with Pre-Cuts. And I had made the comment because I noticed throughout the course that there was a dash and sometimes in other times there wasn't. So I, I hear that this kind of traveled throughout the company. Is that true? <laughs> it's true. And you specifically were talking about me when you were saying some people geek out about it. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm one of those people that I looked it up in the dictionary and in the dictionary, there is not a dash in precuts. It's mm. P-R-E-C-U-T. All one word. <laughs> so that's how I think it ought to be spelled. However... <laughs> However, she's going to spill the tea now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah so, we we have we have inner style guides, and I don't think I was here for when this got added to the style guide. It's gone back a little while, has it, Lori? Yes, yes. That we have a hyphen in it. Yeah, and it right. does cause controversy among and the it, editors. Yeah. <laughs> And and here's one of those places where I, I always think I need to be a big girl. And there are things that are worth digging in your heels for. And there are things that aren't. And, you know, this is just one of those things. It's not worth digging in your heels. And yeah, it's a picking your battles, right? Yep, exactly. Well, I had just written a blog where I used the word pre-cuts like 90 times without a dash. So I was leaning on the no dash <laughs> side. <laughs> Well, I'm right. sure there might be some English teachers that are listening in that might have a very strong opinion as well. <laughs> right. Or some fellow word geeks, you know, mm -hmm. shout out to yes, Jen Rain, exactly. our social media uh, person. She actually was <laughs> so excited at the end of the conversation. She was like, that's the best conversation I've had in months. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Funny. What was her opinion about the, the dash or the no dash? Honestly, I didn't even ask her. <laughs> I'm like, That's I, don't know. I can't remember. Oh now gosh. I can't remember where she fell. I think she was just so excited that we were having a grammar conversation. That's all she cared about. <laughs> Hilarious. Really funny. Yeah. Well, everyone, I think that we have hit our max time. Oh, so now we got to wait another two weeks. Show. We I do, know. unfortunately. Oh. I know. I'm sorry. That's right. I'm sorry. But I miss you guys. I know. Miss, miss you, you too. too. Yes. And hopefully uh, we'll have, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next round. <laughs> uh, we always do. Yes, yes. we do. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Quilt and Tell. Remember, you can find more information about our sponsors or what we talked about today in our show description. If you haven't already subscribed, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please tell your friends. Thanks for listening and happy quilting. The Quilt and Tell podcast is produced by me, Tracy Mooney, and our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer. <laughs>